Well, good morning. It's great to be up here again today. I, um, I went off a bit premature last week when I said or that we're starting a new series. In fact, it wasn't a new series. Um, we're starting a new series today. So uh, Graham gave, brought the end of the, the former, former things that have now passed away. And behold, everything's becoming new. So this morning I'm starting a new series that we're going to continue for the next few weeks talking about the work of the fire of God. What is the, some of the work that the Holy Spirit does in us? And so if you're ready, we're going to pray. We were in the prayer meeting this morning and we, we were just thinking and praying about that, that scripture that says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and uh, we remembered that this morning, right across the world, the word of God is going out. And uh, what, what God quickened to me was, it doesn't matter whether the preacher's anointed or not, that's not what the scripture says. Scripture doesn't say that the preacher's sharp, because most of the time, let's face it, the preacher's not that sharp. It doesn't matter that the preacher's anointed, but it's good, it's better if he is. But the scripture says, the word of the Lord is living and active. And so regardless of who's given it, if it's going out, God says he gives us a promise It'll never return to him void without accomplishing that for which he sent it forth. Amen? So I'm praying this morning. I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, and I might not be the most anointed preacher in town, but I pray today as we listen to the word of God that as it goes out, that it'll accomplish what God purposed it for today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, okay, let's throw up the first screen. Regeneration, it's a big word, isn't it? Have you ever seen the, the bush in Australia after the fire's gone through? It's one of my favourite sites where you see all this blackness and then you see the, the little green shoots starting to pop up. And you go, okay, it's not dead. It's not dead. It's an interesting thing about gum trees. Gum trees have their seed inside a little, what we call a gum nut, yeah? And that gum nut is held together by resin. And the only way that seed can germinate is because of bushfire. If bushfire doesn't go through, the resin around the seed is not melted and the seed cannot germinate. And so the seed falls into the ash, the nutrient-rich ash, and grows inside of that and new life comes up in the forest. Isn't that something? The fire actually is necessary for the new life, for the new birth of the forest. And so this morning we're going, to, we're going to look at a scripture in Titus. Paul's writing to Titus, one of his contemporaries. And he says in, in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, He saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, and here's the, the, the crux, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our Saviour. So he talks about a regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might go, yeah, well, big deal, what does that mean? So I'm going to go to the next screen and tell you what it means. So the, the word regeneration comes from a, a Greek word, palingenesis, which means, palin means again, and genesis meaning birth. So it literally means... To be born again or new birth. 
And so this is this word, so we can, we can read that scripture and say that we are saved by being born again by the Spirit of God. Regeneration by the Spirit, we are saved by being born again by the Spirit. And so Jesus, uh, in an in a encounter he had with a man named Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to him at night. He was a Pharisee. Uh, he wasn't supposed to hang out with Jesus. You know, Jesus was one of those guys that, that if you were a Pharisee, you didn't go talk to. And so Nicodemus came at night because he wanted to find out a little bit more about Jesus. And he, he, he began the discussion with him. He said, you know, I know you're a good man sent by God because nobody could do all these miracles that you're doing if he wasn't from God. And Jesus just looked at him and said, I tell you this, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. That's a nice how you do, isn't it? No discussion about being good or coming from God. Straight to the thing, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no other choice. You must be born again. Now, this begs a question. Why? Why do we have to be born again? What's the issue that the concept of being born again addresses. And so Isaiah gives us a bit of an idea. And so if we go to the next screen, we we find this scripture in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is is a scripture about Jesus. It's It's one of the classic and most powerful prophecies regarding the Savior. In fact, it's so powerful, they didn't know about it. For many, many years. And, and this is one of the passages that was in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found. Because they said the common thinking was the book of Isaiah was so accurate when it came to Jesus, they doubted its authenticity. And they said this can't be an Old Testament book. It's been written by some cheating disciples at a later date to try and sort of buff up the story, increase the story. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, they found this passage and it was dated 700 years before Christ. And they went, wow, because it's so accurate. And this is what it says. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And this is the key passage. I'm going to get you to say it with me. Each of us has turned to our own way. We all like sheep have gone astray and... Each of us has turned to our own way. Now, I'm going through this really quickly because I really this is my introduction. And um, even though Pam's not here today to look at her watch, I still have only 30 minutes. And um, and and Nikki over here is is you know how Pam, Pam's really nice. <sighs> Nikki is also nice, but I'm I'm more scared of her than Pam to be honest. Um, but. I don't remember back, throw your mind all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. So they said, he, he's going to be created in our image. Let us create him male and female. And so God created us in his image and his likeness. Yeah? That, that, that was the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan came to Eve and said, hey, there's this fruit over there. And if you eat it, you will be, what? Just like God. Now, she was already like God. 
because God created her in his image. But she wasn't aware of that. It didn't stay in her mind. Maybe Adam didn't tell her, whatever the story was. And she, she decided, I'm going to go my own way to get this thing of being like God. And down through history, we did it my way, yeah? Correct. You can only sing that if you've got blue eyes. Okay. So, so I, Isaiah's prophesying and he's looking forward to it and he's saying, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. Now, this is the major issue. You know, say, well, you know, we were sinners. Yes, we were sinners, but let's face it, the blood of sheep and goats could deal with sin. Remember, the high priest went in with the blood once a year, dealt with the sin. But it couldn't deal with this willfulness, this, this urge that's within us to go our own way. And if you're a living, breathing human, if I ask you to put your hand up, if you felt this urge to do it your own way, I, I think we'd see a few hands, yeah? And so Jesus understood that it wasn't just necessary to forgive sins and that's what the cross was about we talked about that a couple of weeks ago at Easter the cross was about the forgiveness of sins the blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins because the scripture says without no shedding of blood there is no remission of sin but Sunday Sunday was something else Sunday was when Jesus rose from the dead And in that act of coming up from the dead, his resurrection, the Bible says it opened the way for us to have a new birth so that we could walk, Hebrews says, in newness of life, a new way of living. So as Romans says, as Paul says in Romans, we're no longer under the law of sin and death, but because of the resurrection and the fact that we've been included in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be raised up. Not in the old way, but in the new way. Like Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And so this is the necessity of the new birth. And I'm going to get back to my notes. Otherwise, I'm going to end up somewhere I don't want to go. Okay, so we not only needed to deal with the sin, we needed someone to deal with us the sinner, yeah, our nature, our propensity towards wanting to do it our own way, and, and we find that all over, all over the world today, don't we? You know, if you ever have a discussion with any about anybody about what God said about certain topics that might be controversial right now, and uh, and you know, you can get some pretty interesting conversations from someone if you touch certain points that they might be endeavouring to walk out in their own way, contrary to the will of God. And we don't even have to look out there. We can look in here, yeah? And we can find at times, even though we are born again, we still have a nature that wants to keep going that way. And we have to grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, no, come on. We're going this way. We're going Jesus' way. So all, all, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. All things are becoming new. Now, you might say to me, and I, I don't want to say this. My water's down there. I, got this, I take this medication and it dries out my mouth. 
And if I don't keep drinking the water, by the end of the sermon, my tongue's actually stuck to the top of my mouth and my, my pronunciation can get really strange like that. So I've got to keep having a drink. Now, I want to stop and just say something that's really important because when we talk about new birth, bam, the implication is it's something that happens in a moment. And, and for any of you who've been saved for more than five seconds know that while you're born again, there's still this stinky old life that... I thought that was going to be gone, you know? And the, the interesting word there that says, any man who uh, is in Christ is a new cre- creature, old things have passed away, all things have become new. That word there, genomai, is, it's, it's not like... In, in, our, in our English language, we have the verb to be. You know, all things are now new. End of story. But in the Greek language, the tense there is like a, it's a continuing. All things are becoming new. All things are becoming new. Today, hopefully we're better than yesterday because all things are becoming new. And as we yield to God's spirit and to God's word, we find that the, the old man influence starts to diminish and the new man influence starts to increase. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. Well, the old man decreases and the new man increases. And, and I'm sure all of you can give testimony to that, that you're not where you were when you were born again. You've changed little by little because all things are becoming new. Okay, today I want to look at this, this, trans, this transformation in the life of Paul. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, and this is going to become kind of our text. And I want to take, get three takeaways from this about what the new life is like. So we're going to get, I'm going to get Cameron to throw up that scripture, and we're going to read it first. And so it's a fair bit of scripture, but I wanted to, I wanted to put it up more than verse by verse, you know, because I know that some people come to church and they read the Bible at church, and you think the Bible is like one verse. Because it only comes one verse at a time. Like, if you get who gets verse of the day from the on the computer Bible thing, yeah, one one verse comes, and that's your daily Bible reading, just one verse, and and you think that the Bible exists in in you know sound bites, one verse per day. I wanted you to see that it actually there's these things called books. Um, by the way, Beachy, what the word you were looking for there was hard copy. That's a hard copy. And see, there's these things called books they, they used to have in, we, we used to have in the olden days when, when we were young. And, um, you know, we, we can get the Bible in whole chapters. We can get the Bible in whole books, you know. And uh, it's amazing. So I wanted to put it up there so we could see some context. So I'm going to sit down and read it while you read it along with me. So the scripture says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You want to read it all together? Come on, let's do it. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, breathe, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias... Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles Gentiles and and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after that, he took some food. He regained his strength. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an amazing story, isn't it? And uh, one of the reasons I, I want to use the Apostle Paul in this picture is that I don't think that there's anybody in the New Testament that understands being born again like the Apostle Paul. Because he was on his way to imprison, if not kill Christians. And then in an instant, God reached out and grabbed him, took him, made him new by the Spirit. And and that sense never left him. He, He describes himself, he says, I am the chief of sinners. I, am, I'm, I was the last one to be ushered in as an apostle in the New Testament age. And, and I'm unworthy because I persecuted the church. He understands what it means to change from old to new. From old to new. You know, some of us, we, we, we've got a varied group here. Some of us are born again from outrageous circumstances. Some of us have grown up in church all our life. Very, very different. Very, very different. You know, some of, us, some of us can name out some really bad stuff that we've done. Others of us will say, well, yeah, I said bum once when I was about 12. And that's kind of like as deep as it got. But it's interesting, whether we've sinned grossly or just scratched the surface, the bottom line doesn't change. We, we are sinners we go our own way. And I, I was a 14-year-old boy sitting in a meeting. We were going to have a camp. Um, I'd been going to church probably for about probably for about four years, I think. I, I, we went to a church camp on the back of some scripture. And on the way back, we were singing some songs in the back of the car. And the guy that was taking us, a youth leader, said, why don't we start a church choir? And I thought, well, yeah, that'd be cool. We don't go to church, but hey, I'm up for anything. I love singing. So we started a church choir and they made us dress. It was Anglicans. And so I got to wear every Sunday a purple cassock. 
You know, one of these things with like a Chinese collar thing and, and it was like a long dress. Very attractive. I, uh, you might be surprised to find that I never actually wore it to and from church. I only put it on when I got there. But I'd been doing this for about four years and I'd sung in church and sung the hymns and listened to the sermons and gone to youth group and we had you know great sermons at youth group with, in the old days they used to call PowerPoints like pictures. That's amazing. And so, you know, I'd heard the gospel numerous times. And I was sitting in this meeting because it was a Thursday night and, and in a couple of weeks we were going on a camp together and the speaker that was coming to do the camp was there. And he began to talk about our need for a saviour. And that night something happened to me. You know, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been in church for four years. I'd heard sermons morning and night if we had two services a week. But that night something like scales fell from my eyes and I understood that I needed a saviour and I couldn't do anything about it myself. Now, I didn't come to that conclusion by myself. That was the Spirit of God. And, and that night I gave my life to Christ. Did I change automatically? A little bit. Did I still keep doing some bad stuff? Yes, because I was becoming new. But I changed. Something happened. And this is what happened to Paul. We're going to take our first takeaway, if we can look at the new slide. So being born again means being born again as a new person. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to choose Saul is because within a matter of verses, we can see the transformation, right? He's one, you know, one day, he's on the way to Damascus with swords and, and, and letters of, to, to arrest people. Three days later... He gets a bit of breakfast and then goes out and starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Like that's transformation right there. When we're born again, number one, we are born again as a new person. Writing later to the Corinthians, he said, this is what it's like. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In other words, old things, our old judgments, our old uh, the offences that we committed, our old guilt, our old shame, they're all done away with from God's perspective. And God declares over us, you are a new person. And so we begin then to walk out that new personness. And, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us remember that the old things have passed away. Anybody here ever struggled thinking that they still had some old things? Yeah. And, you know, the trick is, yes, we do have some old things, but that's not who we are. We sang it today, didn't we? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And, and we're walking out of that old life into newness of life. God has opened up through his flesh a new and living way by the Spirit. So number one, we're born again as a new person. The second thing we see in this passage is that Paul was born again into a new people. So he's not just by himself. It's like, uh, you're born again, Paul. Hallelujah. Go and walk out your new life. No, it says straight away, if you remember from the scriptures, straight away Paul hung out with the disciples in Damascus. 
and he, he began to, to, to talk to them and they talked to him and no doubt they talked about their stories. No doubt they, they talked about Peter, you know, not Peter because he wasn't there, but somebody that was there said, you know, this is, this is my story. This is my testimony. I was 14 years old and I'd sung in the choir for four years, probably unlikely because it hadn't been going that long. But, but there was that day when the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed a saviour and just like you on the Damascus road, God came by his spirit and changed me. And Paul gets this wealth, begins to understand this is not just an isolated incident, this has happened to all these people. Just like it's happened to you and, and it's happened to me. And so he was born again uh, into a relationship with the church. We, somebody said it that I think it was Beachy talked about. Did you, did you talk about um, there's many rooms in God's house? Did you say that? I'm sure someone said it this morning. And it's interesting. It's an interesting verse. Jesus says to the disciples, um, do not be worried Believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back again and take you to be with me, and we will be together forever. Yeah? And I was once, one time I was thinking about that because I, I, I traditionally thought my Father's house was heaven. Because, you know, in my father's house, in heaven, there's a place for me. No, we sang it in that song. In my father's house, there's a place for me. And one day the Spirit of God said to me, I'm not talking about heaven. When is heaven ever referred to as my father's house in the scriptures? And I went, well, never. And the Spirit said, what is referred to as my father's house? The church. So God says, believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, the church, there are many rooms, many opportunities, many places to plug in. I'm going to prepare a place. He didn't say for all of you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare, Grace, a special place where you can plug in to the church of Jesus Christ. And as an individual, become part of something bigger than we've ever expected. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Noreen. I'm going to place, uh, prepare a place for you, Glenn. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Samuel. And Samuel, your place is going to be different to Glenn's place. Because you've got different talents and different giftings. And he's got his giftings. And we all come together in that place, in that Father's house called the church. And, and sec, uh, Corinthians chapter 12 says that each one of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit to come and bring in to that thing for the common good. I'm going to talk about that in a second because the third one, how are we going for time? I'm killing it. I'm, no, I'm out of time. Okay, um, Okay, number three. I looked at the clock going down and it said uh, 26 and I went, oh, I'm good. Then I saw the 34 and I thought, oh, not so good. Um, we're born again for a new purpose. Born again as a new person. Born again into a new people and born again for a new purpose. Let's look what the scripture says. God says to, to Ananias, uh, Okay, and once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the next scripture, 
And this is what God said to Ananias. This man is my, let's say it together, chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. A chosen instrument. I want to tell you this morning that each one of you is a chosen instrument. In God's house, there is a room for you. There's a place for you. You plug into it and you become God's chosen instrument as you begin to walk out your purpose and destiny. I was 20 years old and I was sitting in a church meeting with, with Anne. I think we'd only been married just a little while, wasn't it? Six months maybe? We were married. We were married when we were children. You know, like you talk about, we, we got into something we didn't know, and then we had a baby, and I was like, "What the heck? What have we done?" Anyway, so we're sitting there. We must have been snuggling up because the the visiting preacher said, "That that young man there is, is that your wife? I hope so, because you know we were pretty close." And uh, he, I said, "Yes," and he said, "Come here," and so we came out. Ezra Coppin, still remember his name, and. Um, for some of you guys that I've, I've given a prophecy to and I've seen your faces like, oh, not again. Wait till you hear this one. He called us out and we stood there, not knowing what was going to be said. And he looked at me and he said, young man, prepare to preach the gospel. Okay. That was something I hadn't thought of. Young man, prepare to preach the gospel. What has God said to you? Because each one of us is born again into a new purpose. And I want to encourage you today. Let this be your takeaway. God, what am I chosen for? What is the manifestation of the Spirit in me that I bring to the common good? What is the, mani- what is the, 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 the manifestation? Interesting word. It means the revealing of the Spirit. It's like... You know, when, you know, you imagine Clark Kent's walking around, he's got his shirt and tie and suit on, and he kind of goes, and you see the little S? It's it's like a revealing. It's like when when God, like you open your coat and the Spirit's there. And, And I've had that experience when I've been preaching. Sometimes I've been amazed at how good I was. Now, I say that humbly because I know how good I'm not. And it's like, I'm saying things and I'm going, flipping heck, that's amazing. I wish I'd said that. And then I realised I did say it. But I, okay, I wish I'd thought of it. Because I hadn't thought of it. Because what happens is God comes and he goes, and he just reveals something of himself that's powerful. And so I want to encourage you today. God has got a place for you in my father's house. And he wants to plug you in. And by his spirit, reveal something amazing to you. And reveal something amazing to others that will bless them. And Ephesians says, it will cause the body to build itself up in love. Isn't that something? It'll cause the body not to love one another, not to just be sloppy and cuddle. That that in the midst of that love, there will come... A building up. The, the, the word is like a construction, you know, like floors going on and cladding going on and, and rooms being purpose built, you know, PC items going in and, you know, toilets being connected and, you know, what other the important things are, kitchens going in and all that sort of stuff. 
God wants to come and take us as a people and equip us, and here's the word, by his spirit to do amazing things beyond which we can even comprehend or understand. So let's just wrap this up now. We must be born again. We're not given a choice. God wants us to allow him to come and deal with our old nature by being born again. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not sure that's happened to me. Well, that's quite positive and and probable because I sat in church for four years and it didn't happen to me. Some of you might have been born into church. You you know what that means. You you didn't have a choice. You weren't invited to church. Mum and dad chucked you in a bassinet and carried you here. And you've been here ever since because they're like us and they say we go to church and that's it. And sometimes you're 16 saying, I don't want to go to church. And <laughs> unlucky, you were born in the wrong family. And, and you, you've just been coming. And, and you've heard all the stuff. You know, you know, you should be good, but sometimes you're not. Maybe you're like me. I want to ask you a question today. If you were to stand before God this, this day, if, like the Bible says, this day your life is required of you, How confident are you would go to be with God in my father's house? Let me ask you another question. If you were to meet Jesus, and I guarantee you, one day you will, and he was to ask you, why should I let you come into my house? What answer would you give him? Because there's a right answer. Well, Jesus, I've tried to be good. Wrong answer. Well, Jesus, I, you know, I, I really love worshipping when it was there. Yeah, good, wrong answer. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your blood that washed away my sin, that made, able, made me able to stand before God. And I'm so grateful for your resurrection because, God, your word says that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, it will quicken my mortal body. It will give life to me. And I, I will be born again, a new creature. The Bible says that what is born of human desire is human flesh, but what is born of the spirit is spiritual. And Jesus, I have no claim or right or portion to stand before you today apart from what you've done in me and that you made me alive again by your spirit. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come. Guys, can you just play that refrain in my father's house? There is room for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I want to give you an opportunity today. We're going to stand in a minute. I like to do this really anonymously so nobody feels like the whole crowd is watching them and it just makes it a little bit easier for you. But I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you're sitting in church and you were like me. You've been coming for a while and... You, you, you want to kind of renovate your life because it hasn't been that great. And uh, you think if maybe you can just hang around some church people, some of it will rub off on you and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be better. Well, that's, God's not interested in that. He says, I don't want to renovate you. I want to make you new. Let's stand together.